Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hammer and Umpire Podcasts. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Weber. I've got a few segments for you today that I think you might find interesting. I'm going to talk about mentoring and uh, what we can do to make sure we're mentoring new umpires and trying to retain them in our umpiring circles. Also, I got uh, an email from um, an umpire I assigned games to, Bob. Um, he talked about a few interesting plays that he had in some recent games, and we had talked on the phone about these after I'd gotten that, but I thought I'd share those with you here on the podcast. Um, I'm going to have a little segment on the state of college baseball based on some information that I was given along with many others about that and my thoughts on, on what things might look like a little bit as we head into uh, uh, the assigning season for 2021, and that's an ever-changing thing as we all know. And uh, this past weekend, um, I was able to go to Central Michigan University and and uh, do some umpiring there by myself, uh, doing some some plate work uh, for their inter-squad scrimmage. And I'll have a little segment in which I talk about that experience and how things seem to go. So hopefully those sound rather interesting to you, and you'll stick with me for another episode of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. So as you guys know, uh, two weekends ago, I attended the local three-man umpire camp here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which I've done the last several years. And I think stemming from that, I got another opportunity this past weekend to uh, go to Central Michigan University and call balls and strikes for their inter-squad scrimmage, their uh, maroon and gold game. Um, They needed a, a plate umpire to call. Um, balls and strikes. So um, thankfully, Rich Fetchett uh, sent the assignment my way, and uh, I went up there on Saturday for the 11 o'clock start and um, called about 12 innings worth of, uh, of balls and strikes um, for them, and uh, it went pretty well. One thing I, I guess I got to say, you know, I, I've had a, a few opportunities here and there to be on the field and, and call some Division One baseball, and Central Michigan is Division One; they're in the MAC. But, you know, I haven't had enough where I feel like, you know, I'm completely 100% confident um, in all of my abilities. Um, um, I, I think, I don't know how many opportunities you need and how many times you need before you, you feel that way. I think it's different from level to level. Obviously, at other levels that I've worked, I feel very, very confident, you know, when I step out there. But, you know, I've only had a, a few fleeting opportunities so far and ones that I w- was going to have um, for last season, you know, went away like they did for everybody else. So it was really, um, it was really nice to, to go out and call pitches and feel like, yes, I belong here. I can do this. I'm not saying I'm, you know, better than a bunch of other people or, and I know there's lots of guys that are better than me, but I feel like I can handle this, you know, um, whatever kind of pitch you have. I mean, there is one young pitcher that uh, came in and, and the, uh, one of the coaches came over when he was warming up and said, yeah, this is a guy we're trying to get a little more confidence here. He throws in the mid nineties. He's got a 12, six break on his breaking pitch, you know, um, obviously don't give him anything, but you know, if there's a couple of borderlines, 
borderline pitches there, you know, try to help them out a little bit if you want to, that kind of stuff. Well, you know, there's that point, I don't care who you are, where, you know, if you're, unless you're, you know, a, a former professional umpire or, or whatever, you've been around forever and you've done, you know, the College World Series and this and that. But for most of us guys, as we move up, like I have, I've taken the slow path. You have to, uh, you know, you want to know, hey, can I can I handle guys that throw 95 miles an hour? Can I handle wicked breaking pitches? And we all like to say yes, but you know what? You really don't know until you do it. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. You, you know when the guys are popping the ball in there. You know when that pitch just moves all over and you can't really tell the spin on it um, as far as, you know, being able to tell the spin because it's so tight. But, you know, I, I know I can't hit any of that stuff. I don't know if I ever could have, but I certainly couldn't now. But I can stick in there, and I can have confidence behind a good Division One catcher, and I can tell you if it's a ball or a strike um, pretty well. And that's, that's good. I, I feel good about that. I feel like, um, you know, whatever is thrown at me, literally, I'm going to be able to handle it. So I guess the next step is just to get one of those opportunities. Um, after the uh, contest, you know, I, I kind of do what is, is preached to me. I don't sit there and talk to all these people. If I had, you know, a couple of players say something and I'd say hi or say something back to them, any conversations I had on Saturday were initiated by other people, um, other than when I walked in the building and said hello to people, you know, that kind of thing. But out on the ball field, I kind of stood where I was supposed to, to stand and you go on one of the baselines and um you know you know the head coach and the assistant coaches talked to me and some of the players said something to me they were very happy to have an umpire there because a lot of their coaches had been doing uh the umpiring and they were a little tired of that but um you know i'm not looking for praise i'm not looking to make friends or anything out there i'm just looking to do the best job i can and hopefully they notice that um if they don't then there's not much i can do about that so when i walked off the field um you know head coach and others say yeah thank you very much you know you did you know hell of a job or whatever which is nice you know i'm not looking for praise but it's nice that they said that so i got chains and was walking out to my car and i ran into the head coach again and he mentioned that you know he thought you know he said honestly i really think you did a very nice job which i'm like well you know he's like why why haven't we had you up here i'm like well i'm, I'm just you know low man on the d1 pole trying to to break into some of this stuff you know get some opportunities that's why i'm here you know to kind of prove myself and, you know, it's like, well, I'm going to tell uh, Rich Fetchett, you know, that you did a good job, which hopefully he does. Um, that's really the biggest payment that I could get from it. You know, I don't really know how much, if anything, I get paid for it. But, you know, I was going to do it because these are the opportunities that only present themselves every so often. And if you can impress somebody, then maybe you get another shot down the road. And, um, you know, we only have so much shelf life. I know I only have so much shelf life as a uh, a top tier, potentially top tier umpire. And, um, you know, if, if this gets me some opportunity, then it was definitely worth it. You know, I had to drive over there and spent, you know, it, it took up most of my Saturday to do it. Um, it was a nice day and everything, but, um, you know, it was, you know, mentally exhausting, physically exhausting, but in the end I felt like it was a success. So I was very pleased with that. And more than anything, I, I proved to myself that I can do it. I, you know, and that is the thing. I mean, at the three-man camp, I, I know I can do the three-man mechanics. I can work first base. I can work third base. I, I have a lot to learn still. Um, I've worked four-man before. 
I know I can do those things. Still have a lot to learn on that if I'm working any of the bases. But the most important thing we ever do as umpires is call balls and strikes. That, that defines what kind of umpire we are. I mean, nobody's out there talking about how great somebody is at working second base, okay, in format. I mean, it's great if you are good at that. That's It is a good skill to have. I'm not saying it isn't. But if you can't work the plate and if you are not good enough on balls and strikes at whatever level um, you're working, then you're not going to be around there very long. And so I feel confident that if um, I were to get an opportunity, I could step in there and do a good job. And um, and the biggest compliment that he gave me was that we barely noticed that you were here. <laughs> you know, that's really what we want as umpires. I don't want to stick out like, whoa, where was that pitch? Or whoa, what's, what's going on out here? That kind of stuff. We don't want that. No official wants that in any sport. You know, you know you're watching a football game like, what the heck was that call? Or why aren't they calling holding? Or Where's the pass interference or, you know, wasn't it a charge or whatever the heck's going on in whatever sport you're watching. Um, if you are sticking out like a sore thumb, then you're probably not doing something correct most of the time. I'm not talking about the quirky rules that people don't understand. They think the umpire or the official, or the referee is sticking out. I'm talking about like regular stuff that happens play after play. If you're sticking out, then that's not usually a good thing, especially if both sides um, are not liking what you're doing. So I felt like, you know, that was an accomplishment. I wanted to go in, do my job, be professional, get out. Hopefully people thought I did a good job. Apparently they did. That's good. Um, You know, we never want like pats on the back or stuff like that. That's not what I'm looking for. I just wanted some confirmation um, from a Division I coach who's done a good job that um, I can work this level. And he can tell somebody. Most of the time, head coaches certainly don't waste their time calling up uh, assigners and coordinators and telling them how great somebody is. I mean, they'll call up if they if you miss one play. They'll certainly do that, especially if it might have cost them a game or something like that. But I think it does mean something if um, you know you go and do your job and somebody says you did a good job, um, only because it gives you opportunities. If I were there working um, a regular game. And, you know, he thought he did a good job. That's great. I don't need him to tell me. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, if you if wanted to call the coordinator, that'd be great. But I, I don't need that. I mean, I know if I did well or not. And, and I did feel like I did a good job. And um, and I, 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 did, I would expect that they thought that too. But it was nice to hear a little confirmation of that um, and that it was a, a success nonetheless. You know, Division One level is certainly um, a different animal than um, – like Division III, NAIA, JUCO. I've only worked a little bit of D2. I know that that is a significant step up as well. For example, there was a, a play, like a, a sacrifice fly. Lesson two, there was a guy in third, um, kind of a looping liner fly ball to right field. The uh, runner on third um, didn't get back very quickly, but he got back and tagged up. He was off the bag thinking it might drop or something, and then he realized it didn't. He got back, tagged, went home, and in most of the levels that I've worked, um, there's no way that this right fielder would be able to throw this kid out. You, you know, pretty good speed runner, um, but he throws a BB a little offline though, probably you know up the third base line uh, toward the dirt, you know, edge of the dirt circle. The catcher caught it and uh, tried to tag him and missed him by a couple inches, and he was safe. I mean, if he throws it um, just in the right-handed batter's box, then he's He's out pretty easily. Um, and, you know, those are the kind of things that I'm 
you know, I can get used to it. I, I did everything I was supposed to do and set up right, work my wedge and everything like that and saw the play very clearly and made my call. But um, when it first heard, I thought that there, when it was first hit, I didn't think there was much of a chance that they'd have any shot at him. And, you know, just a slightly better throw would get him. It was a Division One kind of play that, um, you know, I could get used to if I was able to work those levels a little bit more. Um, but definitely, you know, the, the superior athletes that are on the field there um, and the size of some of the kids. But, you know, also the nice thing is that there's some smaller guys out there that, you know, I'm on the smaller side for sure. And it's nice to see uh, guys that are around my size that are D1 athletes and feel like, well, if these guys can be D1 athletes out here playing baseball, then I can be a D1 umpire. Because, you know, sometimes that, that figures into your brain a little bit too. I mean, there's a lot of things that go through your brain and you got to keep your confidence up. And and uh, that was a nice thing to see as well. Anyway, it was a really good experience. And um, I don't know if it will pay off for me down the road. I'd like to think so. Um, time will tell. Um, and I certainly will let you know if I see something happen. I, mean, I don't know what, what chances I really have of uh, getting any D1 assignments this coming spring because things are going to be limited. And like I say, I'm way at the bottom of things. But, uh, you know, maybe this will get me an opportunity. We'll see what happens. If it doesn't, then maybe it will the next year. Nonetheless, it was definitely worthwhile. Let's talk for a few minutes about the state of college baseball for 2021. Which, um, well, first, the state of college baseball is, we don't really know exactly what the state of college baseball is for 2021. But, nonetheless, we do know that the pandemic is still going to affect 2021. Hopefully not as as much as it did 2020, where pretty much everything or most things were canceled. But there are going to be less opportunities for people um, there might be pay freezes or maybe reduction of, of pay for uh, certain types of games. And um, we'll just have to see how things um, pan out. One thing we have to remember is that, uh, especially in, in big-time college baseball, um, but also in any, any school or any university or college that has football and, and basketball, for that matter, too, that uh, are at least revenue-type sports for them, that if those those sports aren't playing, then they're going to have less revenue and that really dictates what they can do in their athletic departments. Um, we definitely see that in the bigger Division One schools. Um, that's why the SEC, for example, wants to play or the Big Ten or the Big 12 or the Pac-12 or whatever you might, might see out there, the, the power conferences. Um, they need the revenue and the TV contracts from those uh, sports um, in order to trickle down to the other sports like baseball, because for most most schools, baseball is uh, a money loser most of the time. I know some of those SEC schools and maybe some of the Pac-12 schools and a few Big 12 schools as well. Um, it's almost like minor league baseball for them, um, and they have large stadiums and, and do very well and make some money. And they're on television and such things. But for a lot of schools, I mean, you know, we can even talk about most of the Big Ten schools they're not making a whole lot of money on on baseball. Um, you know, we're lucky that they're that they do have the sports and that the opportunities are there for or for a lot of people to umpire. Um, but um, I think uh, hopefully things will get back to normal at some point, maybe more in 2022. And uh, we shouldn't take things for granted. 
you know, I think a lot of people will look back at this situation and go, okay, you know, we've got it pretty good and appreciate what you got. But nonetheless, um, if you're lucky enough to work for the CBUA and, and Rich Fetcher and all the other assigners on down there, um, you know that you get some communications through through them about the way things are and they try to be as transparent as they can. And for those of you that don't, I think you might find some of this information I'm going to share with you kind of interesting. So um, here's just a few examples of the of what maybe is going on. Of course, things could change tomorrow. You know, that this is just what um, we were told recently. And um, certainly I can put out this podcast and everything's completely different, you know, the next day. Who knows? But as of right now, they're talking about... Um, you know, like uh, the Mid-American Conference, which is a conference that uh, I might have a chance to work some low, lower level contests in, you know, non-cons or something like that. They've canceled their conference tournament for 2021 and they reduced their game fees by $20. All right. The Big East, they haven't finalized their 2021 conference schedule and they've, you know, asked their, you know, the, the signer to, to hold off on that stuff and they're um, rates for their compensation rates are going to be frozen for 2020. The um, American Athletic Conference has frozen their compensation, and they usually are four umpire crews, and they are going down to three umpire crews. So by doing that, of course, that's a 25% reduction in assignments for, for that league. Big Ten, frozen their compensation for 2020. Uh, they went from four to three umpires, which is going to reduce umpire opportunities by 25 percent in 2021 the big 12 frozen their compensation reducing from four to three umpires for non-con games and um, which is 25 percent reduction in non-con assignments and um, they've done some other things as well and also all the those conferences and and others have discussed many other things like um, reducing the number of non-con games that they'll actually play maybe going down from 56 games to as low as possibly 40 games. Obviously, that reduces opportunities for people. Um, increasing conference series maybe to four-game weekends and not playing non-conference games. Um, trying to get umpires um, from the geographic locations more likely and reducing uh, the amount of travel and travel expenses, of course, too, and flights and things like that so that um, umpires coming to the campuses are less likely to possibly be exposed to COVID through, you know, airports and travel and, and things like that. So you see, when those things happen, that has a domino effect on down, because if you take an umpire off a Division One game that's at the, one of the higher levels, then he bumps down to a slightly lower level, and that bumps somebody else, and it bumps people all the way down to the JUCO level, and then some guy that was maybe going to get a JUCO game doesn't get a game. You know what I mean? That's what the way it kind of works on the old totem pole there, right? So, um, you know, if there's some miracle vaccine and whatever happens between now and the springtime, or at least February or March, um, then maybe things could be slightly more normal. But I'm not holding my breath for that. Uh, I would love to see that happen, but... Uh, We'll see how it goes. If things kind of maintain the way they are now, um, then there's going to be less opportunities, which is unfortunate, but that's just the way things are, and people are going to have to uh, to deal with that. Everybody's going to have to deal with that. If you're at the very, very top, you'll still have your opportunities, but then again, they kind of expected that. But things are going to be different. You know, you might be asked to umpire with, with a mask on, 
which some guys don't like, you know, but uh, if that's what they're asking you to do, you don't have a lot of choice. Well, you have a choice. You can either do that or, or not umpire, I guess. That's kind of your choice. I'm sure there's some major league umpires that don't like umpiring with a mask on, but that's what it is. That's their, their vocation, so they have to do it. So that's kind of the state of uh, college baseball from what I've heard uh, recently. I'm sure there's similar things in uh, you know on the West Coast, for example. Obviously, there's similar scenarios for um, other amateur umpires, you know, high school and, and and on down, because we don't really know what the state of things are going to be. Some guys are going to opt out, not umpire, so that'll provide a few opportunities for people. But I don't think that that's going to uh, withstand the reduction of assignments that might be coming down in certain areas. We'll see how high schools. Um, do things as well. The only thing I think is uh, the slight silver lining of all this is we've seen the um, resurgence of all of the professional sports leagues and some of the major college leagues doing their thing as far as, you know, baseball, football, hockey, basketball and such. And, you know, they figured out ways to try to monitor what's going on, you know, taking temperatures or they're wearing a mask or the testing and all this other kind of stuff. In the spring when this stuff all hit, as we all know, but please remember, we didn't have any of that stuff in place. So they had no way of like knowing what the spread of the pandemic disease was or anything like that. So we've got a little more control over trying to maintain things now. And there's like systems in place that others can use. So we're more likely to at least get some games in like we did this summer, you know, once things kind of got under control. So hopefully at least that will maintain, but it sure would be nice if somehow um, we really took a major turn and things started to look a little bit better sooner rather than later. Whatever the case may be, we just got to hang in there and uh, eventually we'll get back to something a little bit more like it was before. We know that there is a shortage of officials and certainly a shortage of umpires around the country. Um, In particular areas, it can be quite bad. Um, But one of the things we don't always talk about is that when we do get new umpires, um, whether they're an older guy or or a lady or a younger person, you know, just new to the to the um, to the club, so to say, that we don't always do the best job of keeping them. You know, um, if you can keep somebody uh, for three years, they're usually going to stick around for a while. You've got that kind of three year window, obviously the first year being the most important. So the way to keep people is to mentor them properly and have a good setup for that, particularly if they can have like one particular person that they can call upon, literally. Um, and some things that you might want to consider if you want to help with that is, um, you know, like your personality. Are you able to handle that kind of stuff? Um, you know, are you an outgoing person or are you like a hothead kind of person? Are you, uh, you know laid back kind of person obviously you'd want to be uh, mentored up with somebody that's similar in style and and, um, temperament to you okay Um, you certainly also don't want to misrepresent yourself when you are talking to some newer umpires don't uh, you know act like you have more experience than what you necessarily do don't sit there and act like you're an expert on everything because all of us have things to learn yeah, um, there are people that have had success and have learned a few things along the way, um, but uh, those are the things you're trying to pass on to them anyway so that they can maybe um, learn from some mistakes and successes that you've had, but you don't want to come across as, as bragging, okay? 
Another thing is um, don't hold back the information. That, that goes with it too. I mean, if you've learned something um, from somebody about, you know, like how you're supposed to dress, you know, if they're wearing gray ball bags and you tell them, you know, you really should wear navy ball bags because it looks better and here's the reasons why. One of the reasons why being that the gray of your ball bags is going to fade differently than gray in your pants and it's going to look really crummy. Um, you know, your appearance really matters and stuff. So you tell them those things. Um, obviously, you tell them things about mechanics that they're doing incorrectly or correctly and things you've learned, you know, how do you learn how to get those low pitches more consistently, those kind of things. If you're worried about them um, being better than you and um, getting more assignments or things like that, then it's not really the thing for you. Um, there is a lot of jealousy and pettiness and all officiating and uh, we got to try to weed ourselves out of that we know there's going to be people coming behind us that are probably better than us and uh, we need to try to help them because i want the best umpires possible on the baseball field with me um, even if they're going to go farther than me down the road and i've had a few of those guys do that and that's fine but those are great guys to work with okay so make sure that you um are giving the information you can and if that lets them get past you and you know, they go to the state finals and you don't or they end up working certain levels of college ball that you don't work, then that's just the way that it is. Um, we just have to be the best we can. And the other thing and probably the most important thing is just being available. And uh, if they want to call you or text you or, you know, meet up with you at some point or, you know, before a meeting or something, they know that you're available and you're willing to talk. I mean, I love talking baseball and umpiring and I'm always willing to um, talk to anybody that's out there about it and, and tell them what I think and what I don't know and what I do know. And, uh, you know, I'll talk to them at, you know, 11 o'clock at night if that's what they need. But the big thing, especially when they're having a rough moment and something doesn't go particularly well, they have an ejection or somebody complained about them or whatever, is just asking questions, you know, ask them how certain things went, let them talk, let them tell the story, and then, you know, you might be able to go into a little more detail and do some talking yourself. But you got to, like, let them um, lay things out for you so that you can try to help them learn from a situation and move on. Um, those are some important things to think about for mentoring and something that all of us should be looking to do with newer officials that come into our sphere of influence. One of the things I really enjoy doing is helping out uh, newer umpires, especially the ones that I assign games to. And they give me a call or send me a text or an email or something about some certain plays that they had that they were wondering about and they wanted to talk about them. Um, I had this happen recently with uh, one of our newer umpires that uh, worked for me uh, throughout the summer named Robert. And um, he's probably around my age, but you know he's newer to officiating, at least newer to umpiring. And so he's he's taken on uh, everything pretty well, but you know there's some quirky things that happen. We all know that. I mean, I don't care how long you've been doing this, there's still always some things that surprise you. So he um, got a hold of me and sent me an email, and then I talked to him about three particular plays that he had uh, recently. Um, well, you know, it was like late September, I guess it was now. Um, and I'd like to share those with you and just talk about what we talked about a little bit. So the first play, he said was uh, he was in, in the field um, on the bases in the B position. There was a runner on first, and the batter had a slow roller toward first base and pretty close to the line. The first baseman went over to field the ball, and he fielded the ball about the same time that the runner was running past him. Uh, he attempted to tag the runner, 
Um, and Robert said that he, he knows that being the guy on the bases that he has all the initial plays on the infield. But from the position he was at, he couldn't see the fielder, um, whether he tagged the runner or, or not, or if he was out of the baseline or all those kind of things. So he didn't make any initial call. His partner called out, no tag. And he was wondering, he was asking me, if is that the proper way to handle this play? And he said that he felt that if he attempted to make a call on this, that he's guessing and it could easily be overturned after the discussion. The plate umpire can see this without much problem and can take the initial call. So we talked about this, and and um, one of the things I mentioned to him is that, you know, when you're working two-man, uh, that's your call, and you've got to make a call one way or the other. Um, you can't sit there and not make a call, all right? Uh, I know that um, frequently um, in two-man, you, you do get yourself, you know, you can get yourself in a position to not see something very well. And that's what happened here. And, and all of us have had those kind of plays before at first base where you don't really know if you tagged them or not uh, running up there. A lot of times if your timing's good and you slow down, you can tell by the reaction of the players whether or not there was a tag. Um, usually by the runner or the fielder themselves, you know, if they seem uh, confident or, or if, the way, if they seem dejected or something like that. You can kind of tell, and a lot of times that will work. But sometimes you don't. The guy just keeps running. The guy seems to swipe at him. You don't really know. Um, if you don't see it, you can't call it. And that's really what it is. So, you know, if it looks like you got there, you're safe, and then you call the time, and that is what your first, you know, your first thing that you should be doing is uh, calling time, making sure nobody's coming by you and your partner. You guys get together, and that plate umpire is supposed to be seen. If if there's a, a tag, that's what he's looking for, you know, pull foot tag. Um, also, um, if, if there's runner's lane, you know, interference or any of those kind of things. So he's not supposed to do anything with that information until – you know, you come to him for it, but uh, he's there looking for it, right? He's, he shouldn't just be calling out. That's not proper mechanics as well. Um, that's not the way we should be doing things. So you make the best call you can with uh, the information that you that you have and what you saw. And if you have to overturn it and get it right, then that's what you do. You know, um, fortunately, uh, those plays don't happen too often. And, um, you know, you might get a little gruff from somebody that doesn't really know what, what they're talking about, but uh, that's the proper way to handle that. So that was, um, that was an interesting little situation that, that frequently happens. Then he had another situation, um, the second one, where he said there was a runner on third and there was a pass ball. And the runner on third ran home and touched home without sliding. The throw from the catcher to the pitcher was late and they had no chance to get him. Unfortunately, the runner ended up running over the pitcher who was past home plate in the area of the left-handed batter's box. There was no intent to do any harm. It was just an awkward, like, 13-year-old runner who didn't really know how to slide or whatever, and so he ran through, and he happened to be, the pitcher happened to be on the other side of the plate. Um, they called the runner safe, and he was like, did I do the right thing? He says, I'm not sure of the malicious contact definition or if it would even apply here. Um, he said he said that he understood that Melissa's contact when is when a runner lowers his shoulder to take out a fielder, but I'm not sure about a case like this. So we had a discussion about Melissa's contact. I mean, yeah, certainly if you lower your shoulder and take somebody out, that's malicious contact. But you know, extending your arms and shoving and and those kind of things, we went through that as well. And in this situation, um, I said if you didn't think that there was, um, you know intent and malicious contact and he was on the other side he wasn't uh interfering um or wasn't obstructing that is the the runner's attempt to get to the plate that um 
that would be okay. So it was a good no call, uh, I told him, um, because he was on the other side. You know, and that's the, the other thing is, why is this... Why is this picture standing there where the kid can run him over? I know I've been in situations where it's clearly there's not going to be a play and you might get the, especially a younger catcher or somebody standing there um, right where the guy might run through and it's like, hey, watch out. You know, <laughs> I'll say that to him, uh, you know, because I don't, you, know, you got to be doing some preventative uh, officiating at times too, right? So um, we talked about that and um, that if it, even if it was, and then we talked about, well, what happened if... Um, the kid scored and then he you know lowered his shoulder or just really shoved the kid and you know just went after this kid and just you know clocked him and decleated him and sent him flying off the dirt circle or something like that what would be the call then and uh we talked about how he would be safe because he was safe before the incident and then he would be ejected you know at least in a high school game that's what you know it should be in other um other amateur leagues as well. That's usually the case. So we talked about that as well. So that was an interesting um, scenario that he brought up. And then he uh, brought up a third one, a third and final one. And he says, I know we got this third case right, but I've seen it uh, multiple times and I know that some umpires don't understand what to do. I happened to have this case early in the year when he was umpiring with one of our other local umpires that really knows what he's doing. And and I happened to see it in a game that my son was playing yesterday morning um, that the umpire, in his estimation, didn't get quite right. And it happened in one of the games we were umpiring yesterday. Anyways, the case is that there are two strikes on the batter. The batter swings at the next pitch, and the pitch ends up hitting the batter. In our case yesterday, there was also a runner on second base, which had to be taken care of. Anyways, I called dead ball, since the pitch hit the batter, and called him out, since it was um, his third strike. And I also sent the runner back to second. There is a lot of confusion when this play because the batter thinks it's a drop third strike and then he runs to first. And um, any runners on base will also attempt to advance. And I guess it's not too big of a deal that there are a lot of things going on at this point since the ball is dead and anything that happens doesn't really matter. I just thought that there might be something to bring up an association meeting um, you know, because I, I do take part in those, and he also does umpire um, for high school stuff, and um, and or just here on the podcast, he mentioned that. So yeah, I do think it's a uh, a good uh, scenario, a, a strange one, um, and we talked about this play as well. Um, that you've got to be, I mean, okay, there's always going to be people confused and not understand what you're calling, and that's there's nothing you can do about that. So you just do the best you can. But in this situation, you've got to be. Um, in control and managing the situation and forceful with you know, calling dead ball and um, you know getting the strike you know make sure you're calling this you know the batter's out dead ball and you're coming right out and you're killing everything and stopping it and then sending runners back you know where they need to go and those kind of things you might get a question from a coach obviously you might get some chirping from parents or spectators or something but you just ignore that stuff and you just take care of it you know if the kid you know swings and misses and the ball hits him you know that's just silly baseball you shouldn't be swinging and missing at balls that hit you okay i know it happens sometimes but i don't understand how i i played baseball through high school and um you know since i was a little kid and um i never swung and missed at a ball that hit me i just don't understand how that even happens Maybe I didn't face good enough, you know, breaking pitchers or something that would hit me. I saw one time I saw a kid get hit in the stomach. Swing at a pitch, it hit him in the stomach. I don't understand how that happens. But anyway, that's besides the point. So I thought those were some uh, interesting things from uh, from Bob, and I appreciate him 
um, giving me the information. It was some good stuff to talk about. And some of you guys out there might uh, might have run into those situations uh, in your umpiring. And maybe that will help you uh, down the line when you might encounter them uh, in the future. All right. Well, there you have it. Another episode of The Hammer and Umpire Podcast. Thanks for sticking with me. Hope you got a little something out of this podcast uh, in this particular episode. Um, I had some interesting experiences recently, so I was able to try to share those with you and uh, relay some information that others have been giving me. My umpiring season, I thought might have been ending when I did my three-man camp a couple weeks ago, or maybe last week when I worked uh, over at Central Michigan. But um, this Sunday, I have one more game on my schedule. I'm going to work some three-man with a couple of good college umpires and one that's actually now a pro umpire. And um, that should be fun. Uh, We're going to work a little 17U uh, doubleheader together and um, get some experience working three-man. I definitely need that. You know, uh, Hopefully I'll get some opportunities in the future, and I'm sure on my next episode I'm going to share with you the things that I learned during those two games that I'm going to work this coming Sunday. So hopefully the weather holds here. It's going to be a little cool here in Michigan. Maybe we'll be lucky if it's in the low 50s. Um, but as long as it doesn't rain, we'll be able to do it. That's kind of typical college baseball weather, so it'll be all good. So until then, um, you guys hang in there. Make sure that uh, you're staying healthy and safe. And keep calling strikes.